Chapter Three of *The Privilege of Pain*. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Cassie. *The Privilege of Pain* by Caroline K. Mills Everett. Chapter Three, of ill health in its relation to genius. The physical conditions which accompany and affect what we call genius are obscure, and have hitherto attracted little but empirical notice. It is impossible not to see that absolutely normal man or woman, as we describe normality, is very rarely indeed an inventor or a seer, or even a person of remarkable mental energy. The bulk of what are called Entirely healthy people add nothing to the sum of human achievement, and it is not the average navvy who makes a Darwin nor a typical daughter of the plow who develops into an Elizabeth Barrett Browning. The more closely we study, with extremely slender resources of evidence, the lives of great men of imagination and action since the beginning of the world. The more clearly we ought to recognize that a reduction of all types to one stolid uniformity of what is called health would have the effect of depriving humanity of precisely those individuals who have added most to the beauty and variety of human existence. When the physical conditions of men of the highest celebrity in the past are touched upon. It is usual to pass them over with indifference, or else to account for them as the result of disease. The peculiarities of Pascal or of Pope or of Michelangelo are either denied, or it is presumed that they were the result of purely morbid factors against which their genius, their rectitude, or their common sense more or less successfully contended. It is admitted that Tassel has a hypersensitive constitution, which cruelty tortured into melancholia. But it is taken for granted that he would have been a greater poet if he had taken plenty of outdoor exercise. These are the conclusions of Mr. Edmund Gosse, and they are even more radical than mine. It is, however, true that in sickness the perceptions, physical. Mental and spiritual become supernormally acute, and this extreme sensitiveness to impression is one of the attributes of genius. It follows, therefore, that imagination is simulated by suffering, but not that suffering creates genius or is even inseparably allied to it. The most universal concomitant of genius. Is the power of concentration, and there is nothing that so fosters that quality as ill health. By forcing us to limit our activities, our human contacts, it automatically eliminates everything that is not the basic essential of each individual. We may dream of an absolutely balanced man, one equally supreme in mind, body, and spirit. But I do not believe it possible for such a being to exist. It seems to be a law that we must purchase and develop one faculty at the expense of another. 
Only by excessive application to one restricted form of activity can we excel in it. Genius is not eccentric; it is concentric. The all-round man is the mediocre man. To perfect even a rose, you must mutilate the bush. Of all the great men of imagination, Leonardo da Vinci and Goethe seem to have been the most superabundantly healthy. This was certainly true of Leonardo in his youth, but I cannot help feeling that when he painted Mona Lisa's smile, pain, the great teacher, was not unknown to him. However, I may be mistaken, and if so, he is the most complete man in the whole history of art, science, or literature, for he joined the advantages of health without forfeiting the hypersensitiveness of suffering. There is no doubt, however, about Goethe. He kept his splendid physique to the last, and Goethe was unquestionably a very great man. His gigantic intellect is curiously stimulating. No one else of whom I know, with the exception of Leonardo, has had such a multiple outlook on life. That amazing eye of his dissected. As well as comprehended all that it rested upon, and it rested upon almost everything tangible. But the very universality of Goethe's genius is one of his limitations. He gives so much, and yet there it is. He knows no half lights. He never leads one to those shadowy regions where the soul is in travail. He knows nothing of that mysterious tract which lies beyond the last outpost of the intellect. His imagination, even in its wildest flights, is curiously earthbound. I feel that he was too healthy. End of chapter three. Recording by Cassie.